0: you found it. Let us help you find your joy in life. Hi, everyone. I hope this finds each of you so very, very well. I'm speaking to you from my studio in West Orange, New Jersey, grateful to have this opportunity to interview Jeffrey Olson, a truly remarkable man with an incredible story of perseverance inner strength, grief, and rebirth. After a horrific automobile accident, took the lives of his wife and youngest son, also inflicting multiple life-threatening injuries to him, including the amputation of his left leg. Jeff found the courage to survive over 18 surgeries and eventually heal both physically and emotionally. His extraordinary story inspires international audiences. And I know all of you in our Grief and Rebirth podcast audience will be inspired as well. Jeff will be speaking to us today from Salt Lake City, Utah. Professionally, Jeff is a gifted creative director with many accolades to his credit. He is also a spiritual leader, a mentor, an author, a shaman, and a speaker whose latest book titled Knowing Memoirs of a Journey Beyond the Veil and Choosing Joy After Tragic Loss tell his amazing story that will surely leave you with a new appreciation for this gift of life we each are living. And it also confirms that when we take that last breath, life is not over. I'm looking forward to asking Jeff about his journey through overwhelming trauma and grief to joy, purpose and gratitude his out-of-body, near-death, and after-death communication experiences, and his profound spiritual insights for what is surely going to be an incredibly enlightening, memorable interview. Hey, Jeff, a warm, heartfelt welcome to Grief and Rebirth Podcast.
1: Thank you, thank you, thank you, Irene. It's so good to be with you.
0: It's such a pleasure. We're going to have a lot of fun. (laughs) It's going to be really interesting, I know. Jeff. Could you please describe your childhood, your marriage, to your beloved wife, Tamara, your son, Spencer and Griffin, and what you were thinking as you were driving just before that horrific accident?
1: Oh, wow. That's a lot of questions, but let's, let's start with my childhood and uh, gosh, you know, my, my mother and father divorced when I was very young and um, you know, that, that, created a very strong bond between me and my brothers. Now, my parents were great at co-parenting, even though they were no longer married to each other, they were both extremely committed to to their children. And um, I grew up on a little farm, actually, a family farm. We had a dairy farm. We also had some beef cows and that's where dad resided. And we'd spend every weekend with dad and then my mother had moved to the city. So I would spend my weekdays in the city and my weekends on the farm. And eventually my mother remarried, wonderful guy. I loved my stepdad. But in her remarrying, we went and lived full time with my father on the farm. And it was a great rough and tumble place for kids to grow up. Um, we had so much fun and we worked hard and it was, uh, it was wonderful. But I ended up going to college. I got a football scholarship. I was a division one football player once upon a time. And um, that was a a gift and a blessing too. But the coolest thing that happened in college to me, I mean, gosh, I guess I was a sophomore there at the the university and and I met Tamara who became my wife. But it's important to to point out when I say I met her, I was shy, you know, didn't talk much I wasn't that outgoing but when she came in the room I didn't even know her name but it was like a lightning bolt hit it's like I knew like like there was the knowing and it was beyond love at first sight it was it was a deeper knowing and sure enough we became friends and then it was a courtship and a relationship and a marriage and uh we had two boys and um Spencer, my oldest at the time of the accident was seven and Griffin was just a toddler. He was only 14 months old and um, it had been a challenge to get him here. So he was our miracle boy. And as you asked about what went through my mind just before the accident. um, We had been on an Easter vacation to visit her extended family, her parents and her grandparents. And when that was over with, it was interesting because we were just getting ready to leave. We'd had Easter Sunday, you know, Monday came around and um, we had said our goodbyes and everybody was in the car. And I was just pulling away from the curb and Tamara stopped me. She said, Wait, wait, wait a minute. And uh, I stopped the car and she said, I want to go say goodbye to mom and dad one more time.
0: Isn't that interesting?
1: Yeah, those those strange little things and you know that whisper. Now, you know, at the time I thought, oh, women, you know, we've said goodbye. We're in the car. I gotta get back to work. Let's go. But something in her consciousness said, I want to go say goodbye one more time. And she did. I stopped the car and I noticed as she ran up and not only hugged her mom and dad, but she kissed them both. And, and I noticed that. It was hindsight. You know, I mean, that would have been uneventful had things not played out the way they did, but it was, uh, that literally was the last goodbye given the events of that day.
0: It's fascinating. And, you know, it reminds me, it's, uh, again, there's so many commonalities in our story because the night before he died, Saul said to me, I'm so lucky and thankful to have you with my wife, which was not a typical thing that Saul would emote or say or do and i thought wow that's really wonderful and then the day that he died that we had the accident he went he he felt the need to go visit his daughter she had her own little cottage in the mountains and it's so similar and they and you know it was it was a goodbye not that we knew it at the time right. it was amazing um, didn't you have like a real moment while you were driving of gratitude when you were thinking about how lucky you were and, and you had this beautiful family
1: I I did, in fact, that was after I'd watched this last goodbye and, you know, Tamara jumped back in the car and we hit the interstate and I cranked the cruise control up to 75 as fast as I could legally go. And I'm racing up the interstate, you know attempting to get home a little bit earlier. I was thinking about all the work I was missing and you know, that to-do list. And, And it's interesting, these moments, these whispers and you mentioned Saul, I mean, if there's anything for the listeners to take away, gosh, when you get that little impression, that little hit, I think I should go see my daughter. I, I want to say goodbye to mom and dad one more time. Boy, follow that, you know, honor that and do that. As I was driving, there was this moment of gratitude. It was nothing to do. I, I was simply looking in the rearview mirror to check traffic. You know, it was a glance, it was absolutely a moment. But I glanced in the rearview mirror just to see what. Traffic was doing, and there wasn't a lot of traffic on the road that day. But as I glanced in the rearview mirror, Griffin, my little son, caught my eye, my toddler, and he was sound asleep in his car seat. And I, I noticed that, and there was this reverence. There was this like, "Wow, there's my little miracle boy. what we're, weren't we're even supposed to have another child, and there he is." And I, I noticed. I noticed details. You know, I noticed how his hands were folded up on the little car seat, you know, barrier that was in front of him. And I noticed how long his eyelashes were. Just in a glance, it's almost like time stopped. And as I noticed that, I heard Spencer, my seven-year-old, and he was playing with action figures that he had gotten in his Easter basket. He was a Star Wars nut and he, he had some of the new action figures, but I heard all the delightful noise of a little boy, you know, having the grandest lightsaber battle in the universe. And I just thought, wow, it, it, you know, look at these children. And then I glanced at Tamara who had also reclined her seat back and she was sound asleep, but she was still holding on to my hand. And, and, and there was this moment of absolute gratitude. I thought, wow, we're 10 years into this marriage. We've had two children. We're racing against our careers. She was a high school uh, teacher, loved the students. But I thought, wow, she's still holding my hand. The way she did, you know, back when I had a couple extra bucks and took her to a dollar movie. I was a starving college student. Right. Um, You were
0: still a love story, though.
1: Yeah. Yeah. There was this absolute moment of profound gratitude. Like, wow, look, look at what I've been blessed with, I mean, that, that was the bottom line. Look at all that I've been blessed with. And of course my attention went back to the road and we drove, but it was about an hour after that um, that it all came apart. The wanna day. tell
0: us about that? How it affected and how it affected each of your family members and, and this is hard and the injuries you sustained from the accident.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it's, been, it's been 24 years actually.
0: And that's it, interesting.
1: It's been 24 years for me, too. Yeah, 97. 97, yeah. And, um, you know, but, but it, it was strange. I mean, th- there was reports of crosswinds. There was reports of a red pickup truck that was driving erratically on the interstate. Uh, the, the most difficult thing to talk about is I, I believe I may have dozed off just for a moment. At the wheel, um, I, I believe I just nodded off for a second. But when I, you know, when I did that, I swerved to the right, I overcorrected to the left, and the car began to roll. I mean, I lost, I lost control, but it began to roll, uh, not off the road, but down the road at 75 miles an hour, and it was a horrific automobile accident. Um, The accident reports say the car probably rolled six to eight times. Um, I I blacked out for a lot of that actual rolling. But when the car came to a stop, I I was completely conscious and very aware that the first thing I heard was Spencer, my oldest son, seven years old, crying hysterically in the back seat. And, And as a father, I thought, I've got to get to my son. I've got to get to my boy. But that's when I realized I could not move. Uh, I was pinned either to the floorboard or the seat. I couldn't tell. There was all the broken glass. There was the rancid smell of gasoline. I I was unaware of my injuries. Um, I knew I was in intense pain and I was struggling to breathe. But what had happened is both of my legs had been crushed and shattered. Uh, My left leg was eventually amputated above the knee my back had been damaged uh my rib cage had been damaged my lungs were collapsing my right arm had almost been torn off and then the seatbelt had cut through and ruptured all of my so i was i was a mess um i i wasn't aware of all of that all i knew is my son was crying but that's that's when the brutal reality hit that no one else was crying and um That's when I became acutely aware that Griffin and Tamara were were gone. They they were killed instantly in the accident. And um, that's probably the worst hell a man could be in. Oh my God. You know, I mean, there I was, half the family's gone. I've got a hysterical seven-year-old, I'm trapped and pinned and can't move and I'm losing consciousness. And yet I was driving the car, um, the the guilt, you know, the regret. I kept thinking, can't I, can't I just, I want those three seconds back. What happened? You know, right. and, uh, that, that was a pretty, pretty brutal uh, moment.
0: I can imagine. And then they obviously got you to an emergency trauma center. They and, did. And, and, and you had some amazing experiences that were not typical. <laughs> no, no, in
1: fact, I, I, I it, at the scene of the accident, I, the last thing I remember, and when I say remember, the last thing I remember being in the body in the accident was I was attempting to calm Spencer and I said to him, it's going to be okay. And, and I thought, that's a lie, it's not okay. I was well aware of what happened, but in that dark moment, light came and and it felt like light surrounded me. It felt like this light was comforting me. And it actually felt as if I was rising above the accident scene, as if I was being delivered from it, so to speak. Um, People did arrive at the scene, you know, uh, I had to be extricated from the car and then I was airlifted and life flighted to the nearest hospital but I actually wasn't aware of any of that. What happened in this light is here, this light had come and delivered me from the accident scene. There was Tamra and, and I knew she was deceased at the scene, but there she was alive and well and beautiful and radiant in this light. And she was the one telling me, you've got to go back. You've got to go back. You can't come, you can't stay here. You've got to go back. And we, we literally had a conversation about Spencer and, and he needed a father and he was gonna be okay. I knew that both she and Griffin were gone from this realm, but there I was talking to her, you know, and she was alive and well and beautiful and emphatic that I go back. And uh, yes, my body or I had been life flighted to a level one trauma center, but in making the choice to go back, I said a very profound goodbye and then I found myself wandering in that trauma center, as you mentioned. Then I was moving about this hospital with all the doctors and patients and nurses. You were
0: out, literally out of your body.
1: Yeah. I was literally out of Your
0: soul was like doing its thing and while they were working on you.
1: Yeah. Yes. Uh, you know, I at the hospital, I, I was seeing all these people. But I was experiencing them in a profound way. Um, everyone I saw, I, I knew them, I knew them perfectly. I knew everything about them. I knew their love, their hate, their motivations, their, you know, their, their consciousness. I, I knew their lives as if, well, I, I was feeling their lives as if it was my life. You know, I was, I w- one example, there was a nurse that just brushed by me, you know, and they seemed to be very unaware of me, but boy, was I aware of them. And in that simple brush by, I I felt I felt the abuse she had received as a child. Mm. You know, the physical, emotional, sexual abuse. I, I felt it and knew it and was very aware of how that had made her feel about herself. And yet it was so profound. I, I was feeling it in a way as if it happened to me. I was that aware, that conscious of it. But in the same moment, I, I felt the magnificence of her soul, like, wow, look at her. You know, she's, look what she's made of that, this compassionate, you know, nurse, literally healing and serving people in a hospital. So that's that's a brief example, but everyone I saw, I had this connection to, this, this oneness, this knowing of them. and And yet it was also an expansion of me, I suppose.
0: And do you remember when you came back into your body?
1: Oh, yes. Yeah, that was- You're that was that a painful experience. <laughs> it was horrible, Irene. I mean, I was wondering about having this profound experience and I came across a, a man or a body laying on the gurney that I didn't feel anything from, which I thought was strange. So I stepped closer and looked and that's when I realized, oh my gosh, that's me. But, but it wasn't me. I, I was having this profound connected experience of oneness but there was my body you know there was the skin suit that i had been wearing and i knew i had to get back in it and um we you know we have no idea how powerful our thoughts are i I didn't have to figure out how do i get back in it was the the intention the I'm, i'm i'm i've got i'm going back in and then boom i was back in to the body, but, th- but then back to the pain, the grief, the guilt, the trauma, the regret, all of it.
0: All of it, all of it. Um, one of your deep insights is not to look at someone's appearance, but instead to feel his or her soul. Is that what happened with that nurse?
1: It's what happened with the nurse. And it continued to happen. Although I was back in the body, medical staff would come in the room and I would feel them. I would feel their soul. And sometimes I would feel the most beautiful, profound presence. Wow! And then I would look and I would think, well, gosh, that isn't what, you know, the world would call beautiful, uh, whether it be a male or female nurse, you know, handsome, but I would feel their souls. And, and I learned to not look upon the outward appearance of anybody, but to be open to who they truly are. Uh, which isn't always manifest in the way you might think, or at least the way we judge in humanity as to what looks good or what does not.
0: Right. It really kind of um, realigns your values, doesn't it? <laughs> Can you still do that today when you meet someone? Do you still feel yeah. the um, person's soul?
1: I don't do that on a daily basis. I mean, I, I don't. I You know, I go to work and I'm, I, you know, I mean, I, it, day-to-day life is not like that. But every now and then, you know every now and then yes it's like that veil falls and um i had an encounter with a homeless man not long ago i mean i you know i was leaving work and and he came up and wanted money and you know and and, and i was in a hurry to and anyway that whisper it's like spirit said just look at him you know and this was after the accident years after the accident right and, and as I looked at him, I thought, wow. First, I, I, I thought, you know, my brothers were so close to me and they were so good in the hospital. They almost lost their jobs. And as I looked at this so-called stranger, suddenly he looked as if he was my brothers, you know, or my dad. And then as I looked at him, I realized, wow, I am you and you are me. I thought, had I not had the family support you know, and insurance and all the things that supported me through my accident, I thought I would have been that guy strung out on the corner. And so who am I to judge? You know, there's that famous thing, but for the grace of God, there go I. But suddenly, I just had this overwhelming compassion. I saw him in his magnificence. And I, I threw my arms around him. And, and and tears had actually become began to fall and i all i said I, it's almost like i heard myself say it i didn't consciously think about it but i heard myself say i know who you are and he began to weep and he said i know that you know and so there was two grown men wow. embracing each other in the streets of the city and and yet there was a connection and and i would have I would have given him everything in my wallet at that moment, and yet suddenly he didn't want that. He just wanted to be acknowledged and to feel loved and accepted. It, that was huge. So, not every day, but boy, when it does, when that wow. falls or when I have that connection, but, wow, it's profound. What a
0: blessing you gave him. You validated him. I mean, people would shuffle by him and not even pay him any heed, and you validated and saw his humanity, and you saw more than that. You saw past his humanity.
1: Well, I saw I saw his divinity. That's the right. thing. I, I, I mean, you know, I, I would have thought, well, I was there to serve him. But no, he taught me. He was the teacher. I was the one that gained everything and gave nothing. And, and that was a big lesson, too.
0: Wow. So you also learned a lot of humanity with everything that you I mean, humility with everything you've been through, too. I know that you experienced the life with you. And a lot of people in our podcast audience are not aware that when we cross over, we get a life review. Would you like to share that with
1: them? I'll I'll share that. And, And it was interesting. I was in the hospital for almost six months. I mean, I had 18 surgeries. I was in and out of ICU and in and out of consciousness. At the end of my hospital stay, I had a profound experience, perhaps the most profound. And I did experience a life review.
0: Wait, so now when in your experience did the life review happen? it happened at the end?
1: It was the end of my hospital stay. Wow. And it's interesting to point out, I mean, the two most profound out-of-body or near-death experiences were at the scene of the accident, you know, and then I was put in the hospital and gosh, I was on morphine and everything else for a while. But then the other was at the end of my hospital stay when I was off of narcotics, I was simply taking some Tylenol. I was just only about a week from going home. Mm. And um, I went into a deep sleep. They, they, had, they had finally stabilized the uh, abdominal injury. they had had to leave those wounds open and the infections were horrible. But I was finally able to sleep on my side. And I had laid on my back so long I'd rubbed all the hair off the back of my head. I was bald on the back of my head. And my brothers were teasing me about that, but I, I, I fell into a deep sleep and I felt that light come again, wow. that beautiful light that had come at the accident. And, you know, although it had, been, it had been months, I was still grieving miserably. I was still in rough shape physically, but that light came. And once again, I felt as if I was rising above the hospital bed, except this time the light vanished. It, it dispensed, and I was in the most beautiful, beautiful place. I mean, people, people say heaven or the spirit world or the other side. The only word I can even come up with that even comes close to what I experienced is I was home. I was home. It was so welcoming. It was so glorious. And I, In fact, I began to run. Now with amputated leg and a crushed you know, right leg, I don't run in this realm, but in that realm I was running gleefully. Wow. And it was such a physical experience. I, I, it's very difficult to put this into words. It was so physical. I could feel the energy and the love from the ground beneath my feet. I could feel the intelligence you know, in my calves and thighs. And I was joyfully, gleefully running, thinking I'm home. I'm home, and that I mean, I you know, that's the only word I can come up with. But at that point, I realized that I wasn't there to stay, and there was this corridor off to my left, and I knew intuitively I'm to go that way, and so I made my way down the corridor. And as I did, there was a crib at the end of the corridor. Now, Griffin, my my little toddler son um, was still sleeping in, in a crib at the time of the accident. He was only 14 months old. And I had been tortured. Um,
0: of course, you must have felt horrible guilt. Yeah. Horrible.
1: And when I saw that crib, I raced toward the crib. And when I looked in the crib, there he was, sleeping beautifully, as peacefully as when I would glanced in the rearview mirror and I swept him up in my arms. And when I talk about this physicality of it, I, I, I don't know if you've ever picked up a sleeping child, but there's a, there's a heat and, and a weight. I mean, it, it was so real and, and so tangible. And I, I held him up against me and he was solid against me and I could feel him breathing. I could feel his breath on my neck. Wow. Oh, I don't know. I mean, things that parents do. I leaned over and I smelled his hair and I thought it's him. It's my, it's Griffin. It's my little boy. And I, I began to weep. And as I wept, I felt this intense presence coming up behind me, this gosh, powerful, cosmic, overwhelming presence. And, um, I I had grown up in a conservative Christian home, you know, and and so I was thinking that's God. <laughs> and I'm in trouble. I mean, I, I thought my little boy is here because I crashed the car. I mean, his life was cut so short because I dozed off and lost control. I mean, that guilt was bubbling up and, and overflowing. And as his presence came so close, I, I I thought, I had the thought, I hope there's some way to be forgiven. And with that thought and this almost felt physical too it was almost like those arms those divine arms just wrapped around me and my little boy and there was nothing but love in fact the first message was there's nothing to forgive everything's in divine order and then the life review began i began to see my life (laughs) wow i
0: mean how does it appear to you like a slide presentation or you're feeling
1: impressions or For me, it was like watching a video. I mean, it was like watching a video, but I was feeling the video. It was like being immersed in my life, but it was very brief and yet very poignant. And and I saw my parents' divorce. I I saw the insecurities. I I was seeing it at a higher level. I was seeing the insecurities that developed in me as a little boy. And I realized, wow, look at all the Band-Aids I put on. I mean, for me, my Band-Aids were overachieving. And I was very aware of this. I, I, because of the, you know the, the trauma as a four-year-old,, you know, in the divorce, I believed if I made the grade and made the team and got the girl and you know, this was my band-aid was overachieving, then I would be okay. Then I could prove I was enough. And, and I saw things in my life where I'm thinking, oh, that was a mistake. That was a mistake. I, I didn't mean to do that. And this beautiful, beautiful divine being, was communicating to me not not in words but just in pure knowing it was communicated there are no mistakes everything is in perfect order and I said yeah but that was wrong and I knew it was wrong and I did it anyway I was sitting there judging my life and this divine being said those are your judgments of it not ours we love you now when I say that the love was unconditional it was a a love without conditions and the the thing that was so powerful is there I was holding my own child who to me was perfect and and divine and beloved and and yet here I was in the arms of the divine and it was communicated to me don't you see we love you as much as you love the child you hold we we have that love for every soul in humanity magnified you are perfect you are beloved you are divine to us and it, it almost felt like the whole universe was there there was this profound you know i don't know this cosmic honoring of my silly little life and yet the love i felt was so powerful so so unconditional and there was no judgment i was the only one putting judgments on everything And here the divine said well that's your judgments but we love you just like the just like you love the child you hold could he ever do any wrong in your eyes (laughs) i'm like no he's like that's how we feel about all of you wow it, it was beautiful
0: that's amazing i've also been told that um when people cross over they get to feel how they made others feel is that true did you have that experience
1: you know, I in in a roundabout way, yes. I didn't. I, I mean, it wasn't it wasn't specific. Like, look how you made. You know. No, but you get. But I, I was so aware in my life when I say when I say I felt like I was immersed in it. You know, I I was watching uh, my childhood and 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 my older brother who was only eight at the time of the divorce. He's three years older than me. You know. But boy, he became in some ways a, a father figure to me, you know, and yet he was always so hard on me. I, we, we played little league baseball. He was the one that taught me how to hit the ball and throw and catch. He was that, he was the one, he was my mentor, you know? And I remember in my first little league baseball game, I got a hit and I was running the bases and I didn't touch second base. So as I came around to third, you know, the base coach is saying, you gotta go back and touch the bag. You gotta go back and touch the bag. And so I turned around, flustered, touched the bag and then began to run to third. But by that time they'd thrown the ball in and they tagged me out. And and my older brother, after that little, little little league baseball game, he had me run those bases time and time again, which in my judgment, I thought, why is he so mean to me? When I was looking from a higher perspective I realized, wow, that's how much he loved me. He was never going to let his little brother screw up again. He was going to make sure that I touched every bag, every base. I mean, and, and so, yeah, this, this oneness, this connectedness, this knowing how others felt or knowing how perhaps I may have affected them was very, very relevant in this very, very brief Very brief life review. I mean, I I could have been there for an hour. I could have been there for 30 seconds.
0: Fascinating, though, because whenever I talk to people, they always talk about that they get a life review. So did Saul get a life review. Why is a soul do we come to this world, Jeff? And why is life so hard? Did you learn that? Did you learn about that?
1: I did. I did. I mean, in these beautiful divine arms. I mean, this is not my wisdom. I'm not the guru. This This is what you were told. Yep. But look at how you're
0: helping people today and you're spreading this information.
1: Yeah, see, I I grew up. I grew up, as I said, in a conservative Christian home. I was being taught that life is a test. You know, God is going to judge you and the angels are keeping track and I'm probably in trouble, right? I'm probably (laughs) in In those arms, I realized that life was an absolute gift. And it was challenging because I had created it that way. Now keep breathing because this is sometimes difficult for people. As I was in those divine arms, I realized that me and my soul group had agreed with each other to come and do this life, the divorce, the falling in love, the crash, the death, all of it to expand my soul. And that the entire universe had supported my creation of my life, God hadn't imposed it on me, nor did anyone else, it was my creation. And I chose the very things that would expand my soul in such a way, and Tamra and Griffin and the others, you know, Spencer, my little boy said, I'm not gonna go, I'll walk with you through this mortality, even if you limp. But they all played their perfect part in this, in this life, which is challenging, we, we, came, we came to grow. We came to learn. We came to experience. And, and although we might say that, that we, we, we may put judgment on it and say that's hard or bad or wrong. But in, the, in that higher perspective, I realized what a gift. What a magnificent, beautiful gift. The entire universe supports us for, to come and have the experience.
0: So a lot of these hardships we choose because we want to learn lessons and evolve.
1: That, that was the takeaway. And, and again, it was gratitude. I'm like, wow, you love me that much that you would let me experience this? And, and yet, you know, from those perspectives, nothing ends. There is no death. There is no end. It, it's, it's eternal. I, I even felt that I was eternal. I, I wasn't with beginning and end. I was simply being and having an experience as a human being but I was something far more divine than that, as are we all.
0: That's wonderful. So that leads me to this question. Um, you learn that each of us is just one person shining our special light in the world. How does that ripple out into the consciousness of all humanity? And why does it all come down to that choice? So like we're, you're talking about universal consciousness, basically.
1: Yeah. I, I love your questions, Irene, you are, you are, you are so fun, this is good. Thank you. Yes, I realize that each of us, I mean, I, I use the term universe, Una-verse. Universe. verse Oh, I love
0: that, I read that from you, and I love that, please share it with our listeners. Oh, yeah,
1: you, universe, so uni is one, like a unicycle, one verse, one song. And I realize that every single soul sings their note, sings their tone, sings their vibration in that beautiful chorus that is this, that is life, that is this rendition of ourselves. And that the chorus isn't complete without all of us. And that it's in the diversity, it's in the uniqueness of our tones that the chorus is made beautiful. That's where the harmony comes because we're all different. But if we shine and if we embrace and be ourselves, we all mesh into quite quite an orchestra.
0: Quite an orchestra. So that leads me to a question I wanted to ask you because while we're playing the orchestra playing in this orchestra, some of us have some pretty sour notes that we are putting on putting into this world. So you think humanity's awakening, but what is the purpose of these people who are, I mean, I understand there's a lot about contrast, but
1: some of them are really over the top <laughs> in my estimation. Oh, I, I, and that's a fantastic question. I've asked myself that, you know, gosh, experiencing this nurse, well, why in the world would someone be abused in such a way? Right. Who, who would ever choose to do that, right? Right. Well, without the sour notes, we couldn't experience the sweet ones that's the contrast you talk about the duality but here's the other thing that i'm seeing perhaps that's happening have, have you ever have you ever planted a bulb in the ground you know a, a you bulb put, yeah a tulip bulb or a flower a tulip bulb yes okay so you know we put those here where i we put them out in the fall and then in the spring they come up i have realized that those bulbs literally have to come apart they literally have to be torn apart before they bloom into the beautiful manifestation of a flower and i believe some of the contrast and the chaos we're experiencing is that it's our coming apart you know there's a there's a beautiful hebrew story moses a man in the desert he was leading the children of israel out of bondage and fiery snakes were coming and biting the children. Do you recall this from Old Testament? No, I don't recall that one, not at all. Well, there, there was snakes in the desert and they were biting the children of Israel and they were dying from it. And Moses went to the divine and said, what do I do? And he was told, make a snake that looks like these fiery serpents that are biting you and put it up on a big staff and hold it up and have everyone look at it. And if they look at it, they'll be healed. E- even the medical industry still honors that. that. That medical sign is a big staff with a snake on mm-hmm. it. Yeah, right, I've seen that. The, yeah, it comes from the Moses story. Wow. Well, here's the thing, and, and we're having a beautiful opportunity to do this as humanity. All those fiery snakes that have been biting us, now we get to put them out in the open and take a look at it. Whether that's sexism or racism, or corruption in government, whatever it is, as humanity, now we're looking at the snakes, we're putting them out in the open, we're looking at it, and by looking at it, we'll heal it. So I think it's the undoing. And it's also the acknowledging of and the looking at all those things that have been swept under the rug for so long. And and this is our opportunity as humanity to heal it, to consider it and to change. And to do something different to uh, to honor the greater good of all.
0: That's beautiful. And it gives us such a hope, gives us all such hope. I'm so glad I asked that question because I've been wanting to hear hear about that. Jeff, you had such trauma and such grief. When and how did you? I mean, now you're on the earth plane. Like me, I mean, I can remember, you know, I got those messages, but man, (laughs) here I was. How did you begin to heal from this overwhelming trauma and grief? What did you decide, what did you do? Therapy, healers, how did you, what did you do?
1: I did a lot of things. Now, granted, I think the near death or out of body experience was a wonderful cheat for me. Mm -hmm. I could draw on that and think, yeah, but I I know differently. Um, I had a lot of angels.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Sometimes those angels were my family. Sometimes they were a neighbor, sometimes they were a stranger, and sometimes I know I had support from the angelic realms. I've got two guardian angels that look after me and Tamara and Griffin. I've got the greatest guardian angels in the universe, but also Tanya, my current wife. Um, Eventually I I fell in love and I remarried and that was an incredible thing. Gosh, wanna, By the way, let's... I
0: want to tell everyone his book is so wonderful and I loved it and his love story with Tanya is just beautiful. It's just worth reading about how Jeff came, rebirthed himself in a way and came back to love and all of that.
1: Yeah. Well, and, and, and thank you, Irene. Yes, it, it is a beautiful thing. I mean, when I met her, it was just like when I met Tamara the first time. There was that lightning bolt that hit me and said, there she is. And it's all in the book. And I did a lot of things. Gosh, I studied energy work. I studied religions of all kinds. I I took a deeper dive into my own feelings about what I thought or believed was true. And I realized beliefs are just beliefs. Now I was wide open. Um, My my faith in many ways was transformed into absolute trust. It's like, I, I trust. It's like all things are in divine order. So there was a lot of things I did the bottom line to my own healing and it took a decade. I mean, I, I, I don't want anybody to think I had this horrible accident and then I had these profound experiences and I was okay. I had a horrible accident. I had absolutely profound things happen and I grieved like anyone would grieve. And I- and i
0: and oh, it's so terrible. I couldn't,
1: make sense of it. I couldn't make sense of it for a long time. And eventually I had to choose to be happy. I had to choose joy. And that was one of those messages that came from those other realms after the accident. And even, even Tamara, my deceased wife, reminded me of that. When I, when I realized I was having feelings for Tanya, of course, the guilt said it again. How could I possibly? And, and I found myself on Tamara's grave, actually. And I was crying and I was angry. And I was saying, how dare you? How could you leave me? You're in that beautiful place, and I'm limping around trying to raise our son. What how dare you go? And 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 yet, and I, I know it sounds so crazy, maybe, but as I was doing that, she came to me. She came, and I don't, I don't see with my physical eyes, but I felt her there and I felt her hands on my shoulders as I wept and <laughs> swore at her, you know. <laughs> and she said, Don't berate me. She said, I loved you enough to leave. Uh, What? You loved me enough to, and, and, and she began to recount. And I remembered my life review and I remembered that cosmic plan. She said, don't you remember? I would have loved nothing more than to stay and grow old with you, but we had a deal. Your soul had this contract and I was part of it and I loved you enough to go. And, and so don't berate me. And of course, I was still in an arguing mood. And I said, yeah, but I'm having feelings for another woman. And, and she laughed. <laughs> she laughed at me. She said, of course you are. I know who you are. I know how you are. And she actually shared, she said, I sent Tanya in your path. She said, Jeff, you can choose whoever you want. But I sent her in your path because I saw in her the thing that might teach you unconditional love. And she reminded me, choose joy. Please choose joy. And, and she actually said, she said, I'm connected to you. I watch you. It hurts me to see you hurt. I can only be as happy as you are. Please choose joy. You don't have to get over it. You never will, but you can get used to it and you can move forward. And besides, and this, this was kind of funny. She said, you're a pretty good dad, but you know Spencer needs a mom you're a lousy mom. <laughs> so, <laughs> and so we had this very profound conversation and, and she's a light to me. Tamara is an angel to me and so's Tanya. Tanya's here, Tamara's in the other realms, but, but Tamara literally said without jealousy or fear, choose joy, move into this relationship. And, and then Tanya in this realm, which is probably more challenging, She never had jealousy or fear. She, she, um, she, in fact, I, you know, our friendship started and I was telling her how broken I was and how I could never love again. And how, you know, and I said, how's this gonna work when you know all this about how I felt in my first marriage and my first wife. And she said, Jeff, that's half the attraction. Knowing you can love at that level. She, and Tanya is a beautiful, gracious. She said, she said, Jeff, I didn't have to choose a one-legged man with a son i i had plenty of other options you know but but she said knowing that you could love like that and and feeling the energy of that and and, and in fact tanya has had interactions spiritually with tamra they never knew wow. each other in this life but it's it, it's all it's all in the book knowing it's all there and uh you know, Tanya's the hero of the story. She's the one that stepped in and started putting the pieces back together and became Spencer's mom and, and, and a wife to me and-
0: You also adopted th- two
1: boys, didn't you? You also yes, adopted yep. two boys. We did, yeah, Tanya, Tanya, well, you know, when she said, I may never be able to have children. I I've had enough issues in my adult life. The doctors have said I may never get pregnant. We adopted two boys. And we don't even call them our adopted boys. They're just, they're just our sons. They just came into our home. And I've, I've been, I mean, in all the tragedy, Irene, I'm, I'm, I think I may be the luckiest man in the world, you know, to have the joys I've had and to have the pain and trauma I've had because it seems like the trauma seems to have created reservoirs for me to hold more joy and more gratitude. And, and that's what I'm experiencing now as I'm older and grayer.
0: (laughs) But you still have your hair. Come on, Jeff. You still have your hair.
1: (laughs) But it's here. Anyway, I'm rambling on, but gosh. No, but it's
0: so nice. I feel like we're friends and we're really sharing with each other. You also had an experience where you were told by the divine that you should share your experience and others will heal.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I, I never intended to share this, Irene, with anybody. I, I I only talked to very close friends and my immediate family. I did have a doctor, Dr. Jeff O'Driscoll, that you uh, have had. I've on.
0: interviewed him, everyone, and he's got quite an, an interesting interview also. Yeah, yeah
1: we, he, he was my emergency room trauma doctor, didn't know me from Adam. But he met Tamron. He met Tamron, and when he shared that with me, then there was a i i had shared my near-death experience with him and i thought this is perfect because if i'm crazy he's a doctor he'll put me in the psych ward and get me the treatment i (laughs) Uh, but anyway i I didn't share this i didn't talk about it i didn't want people to think i was crazy i i it felt it felt sacred this wasn't lunchtime conversation but at one point and, and it's silly i was teaching a sunday school class and um, the topic was the love of God. I, I couldn't even say it without bursting into tears, you know? And there was a woman in the, she was a neighbor of ours. She came up and she said, something happened to you, didn't it? And I said, yes, but I don't talk about that. And she said, well, you're going to talk about it. I'm coming over to your place and I'm not leaving until you tell me what happened to you. And I mean, gosh, years had gone by. I had remarried. She was a friend of Tanya's in the neighborhood and she came over and then she said, You've got to talk to a guy at the university and tell him about this. He studies these things. And, you know, do Buddhists, uh, uh, Jewish people, or Christians, do they all have the same experience? And anyway, I reluctantly agreed to talk to this fellow. And then he said, You've got to come speak to our group. And I said, No, I don't talk about this publicly. He said, Look, people are hurting, they're grieving. They've lost loved ones or some of them are dying. Come talk to our group. I think they'll benefit, which I did. I acquiesced and came and spoke to the group. And in the group was a publisher who came up and said, you're going to write a book. And I said, no, I'm not. I barely got through this speech. There's no way I'm doing that. And down to your question, that was a Friday night. And he had my contact information on a Monday morning. I had a book contract. Wow. in my. And I was very reluctant. Um, here, here's what the big barrier was, I'll be honest. I was worried, what if the book does well? And am I that guy? Can I, could I receive a royalty check based on the catastrophe that took half my family and I was driving the car? It was, it was, it was a moment of turmoil within. And so Tanya being enlightened as she is, she said, I think you ought to ask the divine about that. And she took me back to the scene of the accident, back to mile marker 80, right where it happened. And she said, I'll just leave you here for a while. I'll be back in an hour or so. But I think you should go ask. And and I did I prayed I asked God, the divine, the universe, whatever you want to call it. And I, I had a conversation gosh, there's this book contract in my email, and this is where the crash happened, and I don't know what to do, and what's the right thing to do, and once again, it was choice, but I was told, I got an answer. I don't, I don't profess to talk to God every day, but I got an answer, that voice that speaks to your heart, and, and I can quote what I was told. That's how profound it was. I was told, share your experience, and others will heal. Now this was, this was 10 years after the accident happened a decade. I had done a fair amount of healing and I thought, wow, if others will heal, if it's not about me, then okay, we'll, we'll write the book. So I wrote the book. I figured my mother would buy a copy, but, but no, it, you know, it hit number three on Amazon and in the category and I, I was overwhelmed, but now I've become I've become used to sharing it, but I still go there. You know, you, you don't get over these things, but you get used to them.
0: Yeah, no, I understand that because I, I have a similar experience.
1: I know you do. And I tell and my
0: story. It's amazing. Are.
1: I mean, that's why we do this, Irene, because people are healing. I get, I get emails and notes all the time from people saying, this really served me well. Thank you. Thank made the
0: difference, made all the difference. Now I have to ask you, what prompted you to become a shaman? That's cool. What, well, that's, thought, what yeah. brought you to do that? And you, and, you, and you do these spirit keeper guided journeys into indigenous spirituality and healing. Wow. Yeah.
1: Well, and you'll, you'll find that in the book knowing too, but we had a native American fellow wander onto our farm. That was a horse whisperer. And that, that was my first introduction to what I call indigenous spirituality. He was different. You know, my father would tie the horse up and teach it who's boss and conquer the animal. Ben, the horse trainer, said, "Oh no, you must become one with the animal," and that was my first introduction. So I was always kind of infatuated with the Native American culture, and I was always heartbroken, quite honestly, about what had happened in this country. Um, And they didn't teach
0: Native Americans, yes.
1: Yeah, they didn't teach me that in school, but I learned what the. True history was. Anyway, Tanya, my current wife, this was for my birthday and this was back before I'd ever written a book. I didn't talk about the experience knowing my fatuation, you know, with with the culture. Uh, It was a gift. She sent me to Lava Hot Springs to work with shamans and medicine men and and, uh, it was a workshop, you know, I I paid my fee and I was going to go spend four days with them. And after the first day, The head shaman came up and uh, she looked at me and she said you've been there and I said I've been where I've been in your workshop all day she said no 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 she said you've been to the world of spirits and come back and I thought how does she know and I asked her I said how do you know that and she said oh I see it I see it all it's a very gifted she came from a lot of Peruvian studies Hopi and um anyway she said you already are a shaman shamans work in the realms and I spent the next seven moon cycles seven months working with her through um, through something called the Muniki, key which was an it's an ancient word for love but it became a practice for me personally that I just I just did working with the energy centers and chakras of the body and aligning those with animal archetypes. And it was, it was a mode of prayer, something I think sometimes we have to be disrupted in our, in our practices to really connect. But this, this worked for me. And then she, uh, she said, you should share this. It's time. It's time that humanity connects in a way that, um, that brings us together. You know, there's a, well, and, and many of the native chief icons have said it, the great medicine will. They said, there'll be a time when all humanity will gather. The medicine will has four colors, the, the white, the black, the red, the yellow. When all of us will gather around the medicine will and be brothers, we'll no longer divide ourselves. We'll step into oneness. And it's those type of things that really motivate me. Um, having experienced that, that's what I wanna create. It's like, gosh, if I can be any kind of a little manifestation of that unity, that oneness, that love that I experienced, that's what I wanna do. And I have found that through these um, shamanic practices and these, these ancient, ancient uh, ways.
0: So you do these spirit keeper guided journey. So now all of our, our entire audience wants to go with you on the spirit <laughs> keeper guided journey. So tell us what that's about.
1: Well, what it is, is it's a a breakdown of the Muniki, mixed with Lakota, mixed with uh, some Islander, you know, Polynesian. It's just, it's the indigenous spirituality I have found really connects us to the earth, connects us to the sky and connects us to each other. Uh, I, I do those two ways. One is like a weekend. And I work with some dear friends of mine in doing that. One's a Kundalini yoga master and the other one comes from Cherokee background. And we, we do those briefly. And then I, I still do the big seven-month long-term face-to-face. It's been interesting with COVID and all, but we still, uh, we still do that with very small groups uh, who really want to spend the time and go through seven months of um, learning, shedding the things that no longer serve them, You know, connecting with their passion and their purpose in life, also connecting with the ancestors and the guides
0: now do you do this online or they travel um...
1: well I, I do them face to face i mean we've been doing face to face you know i do i do a brief intro on my website you can go to envoy publishing and you'll you'll see that there's a e n
0: v o y e n v o y publishing
1: yes that's uh, that's french for messenger so envoy publishing or you can look up spiritkeeperseries.com and, and get it that way. But these are typically done face-to-face. I, I don't know, I, I love Zoom and it's made the world a very small place, but uh, sometimes to really connect um, there's, no, there's no substitute for uh, being in the same teepee. And, That's uh,
0: absolutely true or giving a hug or whatever. Yeah. yeah, we can smile this way. You also have this um, one-on-one mentoring. And these yeah. online workshops,
1: and you do have online workshops through the Wholeness Network. Yeah. You want to talk about that? Yeah, well, the Wholeness Network. I, I, I there's, there's, um, there's online workshops. It's very brief, but they're, they're great introductions to things. I do awaken to oneness, which is one-on-one mentoring, and that can be done over Zoom. I've done that many times, and have many clients all over the world through Zoom calls. And um, basically, there is not like a curriculum it's not like oh here's Jeff's way of you know I, I work with individuals and say what do you want what is it you want and let's create a system where you can get what you want and that might look a lot of different ways depending on what their intentions are
0: well I think that everyone listening is going to want to get what they want and, and uh, connect with you <laughs> you say that loving ourselves then loving others is the ripple effect that can lead to healing my favorite subject, getting helping everyone to believe that they can heal. Please explain this statement and share with our grief and rebirth audience why you think, why, Jeff, is it important for each of us to heal?
1: Wow. The purpose of life is to heal, to find wholeness, to find oneness. And that's why it's hard. When you ask that question, why is it challenging? Well, sometimes we have to be shattered, in other words, to pick up the pieces and put it together. You know, there's that there's that there's a uh, process they do in in Asia where when a pot breaks, they fuse it together and put precious metals in all the cracks to make it stronger, uh, to give it character, it it becomes more valuable. And that's each one of us. It's the shattering and the rebuilding. It's the healing that makes us whole. And um, boy, the the self-love is a key to that. I was really good at loving other people and seeing the divine in the homeless guy as I came out of the office. It wasn't until I could love myself and saw the divine within myself that I really began to heal and even had the ability to assist others in their healing. It's, it's a very personal path. I mean, one, one of the great masters, Jesus, who was Jewish, by the way. Yes. <laughs> he's, he's, he's a practicing Jewish fellow, you know, he said, physician heal thyself. Um, he said, the kingdom is within you. Don't go looking out there for it. And, and that, that self-love, e- even the famous statement, love your neighbor as yourself. Well, how can I give what I don't have? Only in loving myself will I ever be able to love my neighbor. And when I, when I didn't love myself, it was very difficult to truly love anyone else
0: that's so true well for me when i got the message be loving and kind to everyone i realized that meant me too yeah if i if you know that each one of us is so precious and important and valuable you call the biggest miracle in your life deciding to choose joy even in difficult circumstances please tell us about this decision what would you like to tell our podcast audience about finding joy in life
1: wow Oh, you ask such good questions. It's in the little things. It's in the little things. The little things are the big things. I, I get so much, I have a little bird feeder in the back. <laughs> you know, and Gosh, watching those birds come and the hummingbirds and that, that brings me joy. I, I've had people say, gosh, Jeff, you were so injured. You must've been preserved for some great cause and i i kind of chuckle to myself and say yeah to uh, to play catch with my son you know to to feel tanya's foot rub up against my leg in bed to 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 watch one more sunset you know to 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 really embrace every day as a gift and as an opportunity that's that's where i find the joy it, it isn't uh, it isn't always that difficult. When things are hard, it can be difficult. But to remember that I'm simply here to learn and whatever I'm experiencing is a lesson for the expansion of my soul and to be grateful for the experience, even when it rips us to the core.
0: Wish it did for you.
1: Well, and, and we all get our turn. Yeah, I, I went through it, through it too, yes. i have been through it too, but yeah, choose. And it's a choice. That's the short and simple answer. It's a choice. The only one that can make me happy is me. And until I choose to be happy, it won't ever happen. Nobody else can do it for me. I must do it for myself.
0: And then it's contagious because when you're coming towards people and you're happy inside and you're at peace, they want a little piece of that and they start to open too, I found anyway. Jeff, um, I right, would you agree?
1: Oh, I completely agree.
0: I Jeff, the greatest lesson you learned from all the loss, experiences, heartaches and triumphs is compassion. You call it the blessed opportunity to feel and perhaps in some small way to know what others are feeling too. What a gift to all of us to be able to learn from your abundant wisdom and profound awareness. Here are some additional insights I learned from reading Jeff's amazing book titled Knowing, Memoirs of a Journey Beyond the Veil and Choosing Joy After Tragic Loss, which can be purchased on Amazon. We are divine beings here to make the world a better place and create peace and joy for everyone. Life is the stage of a play. Heaven is real. There is no need to judge anyone for anything. When we pass, we are all going to be asked, what did you learn? Surely many in our Grief and Rebirth podcast audience are now inspired and eager to purchase Knowing, memoirs of a journey beyond the veil and choosing joy after tragic loss, which will no doubt add to their own growing awareness and wisdom. Jeff, thank you from my heart for the honor and blessing of interviewing you today. This has been a truly eye-opening, touching and unforgettable interview. And here's a reminder everyone that you can see the show notes and all grief and rebirth podcast episodes on ireneweinberg.com and make sure to follow us and like us on social at at irenesweinberg on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter and YouTube. As I like to say, to be continued. Many blessings. And bye for now.